0: kelly and you're listening to general intellect unit this time we're picking up part two of our discussion of the third act of kentucky route zero if you didn't catch the first couple of episodes on the series i'd recommend pausing this one going back a few and starting from there as always thanks for listening we hope you enjoy the show Title card: Where the strangers come from, um, and this this is a graveyard, and we 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 emerge from a tomb um, into the graveyard, and um, there's a little church there. Uh, Shannon and Conway go into the church, and Junebug and Ezra stay outside. And um, wow, this this little scene is amazing um, between Ezra and Junebug. I I fucking love this thing.
1: Yeah, Ezra Ezra kind of gets the sense that something is wrong with this church because he makes excuses for why he he doesn't want to go in like he says like oh I'm looking for what is it I'm looking for a lizard and then you know he admits to Junebug after Conway and Shannon are gone that he wasn't actually looking for lizards it was like he's he knows what's up like that's a
0: bad place you don't go in there definitely right like there's and I think Conway kind of nods to it as well he's like yeah sure whatever um like just the kid just wants to stay outside but there's there's an interesting thing here where um this can be an extremely important piece of dialogue for Tunebook, but you are presented with little inspect icons to go looking under rocks for lizards and I do know of people who have missed this dialogue and I think it's because they just clicked on the fucking rocks looking for for lizards because that's what Ezra said um so i don't know yeah it's it's tricky if you can if you can miss dialogue uh, because of that misdirection but hey um yeah no uh, uh i i always got the dialogue but uh, that's just because it's the first thing
1: that pops up i wasn't exploring uh or I, I think i might have like looked at one thing and then go back went back and did the dialogue afterwards but it's uh
0: generally i've always gone to the dialogue I guess there's like 12 in like 12 places you can look. And I guess if somebody just kept poking at them, um, they would, uh, yeah, they would use up all the time. Right. Um, But this, this dialogue between these two is amazing. Right. Like um, Ezra kind of asks like, hey, why do you dress like a punk? And Junebug's like, I dress like Junebug specifically. And Ezra says, I want to be specific. Um, And these lines from Junebug are just astonishing. Right. I'm going to quote them. You've just got to make choices and own them you think I was born this foxy? I came off the assembly line about a half foot shorter and all grey, no eyes. They were going to have us clearing out the old mine. It doesn't matter what you look like under all that rock and water. A bunch of grey shadows shuffling and hammering invisibly at the walls, draining the tunnels. Johnny found some gear. An old tape player. We hid away in an underwater cave and listened to it over and over, and we knew we weren't miners. We slipped out onto the road, just these two featureless shadows and ever since that night we've been detailing, colouring in, specifying. I feel more like myself every day. This is fucking great. I I absolutely fucking love this because, you know, I think this is one of the better, like, trans allegories that has ever been in any kind of fiction, basically. Because it, it turns so much of it upside down and makes it so positive, you know? Because there's there's nothing here about like because I mean Junebug and Johnny were genderless uh, ghosts they were they were just robots before all this and they when they realized that they were when they realized they had the potential to be more than that they then actively constructed themselves and it's it's this process of specifying they're adding details to themselves Um, it's specificity is the kind of concept that Junebug leans on so much in this in this little dialogue.
1: Yeah, which I think is why they're, uh, they're so obsessive about their art, like, what, about the particulars of their art, like, it's like, you know, it's like, they're, they're these, like, you know, hipsters you talk to, like, what kind of music are you into, and then they give you, like, a 20 minute long, uh, uh specific definition of, like, what subfield of a subfield of a subfield they specifically like, as opposed to the other ones they don't, um, Uh, So I think that that's that that specificity really comes through in their dialogue. Um, And, uh, you know, the other thing is, I think that, you know, we, we talked about how Junebug is on this kind of ascending trajectory, whereas everyone else is on a descending trajectory. But it's also specifically that like Junebug makes something new and positive out of the things that Drag other people down into regret and 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 death. Like it, the music that they found on those tapes is like the music of the miners that they were just singing to try to like get by, you know. And then and then uh, Shannon's or sorry, uh, a Weaver's family recorded. Um, so it's not like it's a happier, positive thing in any way, but they made it into something. Different. They 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 built an identity that was not one of uh, just sort of depression out off of these songs. They built something completely new.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 quite specific here as well. That like it's they, the recognition is that they knew what they were not. You know, they knew they were not minors. and it's, by being exposed to that media recorded by the miners, they could figure out what they weren't, which. You know, the, the, the negativity implies a positivity that has to be explored. Um, you have to negate the negation. Um, which, maybe that's that's the other part of why I kind of really love this, is that it's, it's maybe a subtle inversion or subversion of, like, Hegel's master-slave dialectic, where two faceless homunculi encounter each other in the wild and discover themselves through conflict with one another. But in this case, these two faceless homunculi, they, they discover themselves together. As friends, you know, and th- through through the through, through that negativity, right? Like through the um, negating the negation, like they, they realize what they're not, um, but the, what they are is yet to be determined, and they're they're in this very active process of determining of determining who they are who they are. Um, this resonates with me a lot, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean they def- they define themselves much more uh, in relation to in a negative relation to their environment than to uh, each other. So it's, it's 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 something that is is less about you know interpersonal struggle and more about
0: just like oh well, that's interesting but I I'm not like that yeah and I can totally imagine these two little these two buddies you know just scampering around like stealing clothes basically you know off of washing lines to like be like oh this jacket looks nice and put this on this is me and yeah it's it's very much emerging from a landscape as um yeah you're you're right it's like n- and negatively defined in relation to the ground um they're they're figuring uh themselves in that in that kind of sense um so it's it's fucking wonderful this this there's there's so much packed into these couple of lines here and um yeah i think like and as a, as a non-binary person i really appreciated having some like very positive uh i mean i read it as a trans allegory uh but it, it, it just seems like that's what they're going for you know um but who knows? Maybe there's other sort of stuff here as well. But like having something that's very positive and isn't based on, isn't based on like, oh, I was really Junebug all along, and that grey robot shit was fake. You know, that's because I mean, my my experience of being a man was grey robot shit. Like basically, that like it felt like being a fucking husk um, for for so many decades. And then then you you realize something, and then have to go on an active process of constructing something that's not the grey husk. This resonated much more with me than a lot of stuff that's like, oh yeah, I knew all along, or, you know, the kind of thing of like, oh, I was, I was never, I was never a grey robot. I was always Junebug bug and that sort of stuff. That that stuff doesn't really resonate with me very much, um, but this does. You know, this is real good.
1: Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Uh, some of the the best dialogue
0: in the game for sure, and uh, and it's missable. <laughs> Just. <laughs> oh i don't know i think i would have made this mandatory maybe <laughs> but who knows they're just they're really sticking to their guns in
1: terms of you know this being what it is being an inter- interactive fiction game uh so yeah i, I think um and, you know this this bit about ezra wanting to be specific to um is quite interesting like y- yeah, as uh, sort of possibility of, like, building your identity, right? Um, which, you know, he doesn't really get from the other characters and, you know, obviously doesn't really get from Julian either because Julian's an mm-hmm. eagle. <laughs> like, Julian shaped his personality in some ways, but, like, this idea of self-construction and self-discovery... Uh, is uh is something that you know is gonna be hard to get out of an eagle um and and, and it's 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 much easier much easier to get it out of an artist who is kind of like you know doing that sort of Nietzschean thing of living an
0: aesthetic life yeah totally and um I guess it's it's also just a classic thing of like you know you the the cool punk cousin or whatever that you're like wow holy shit I need to get into that you know um <laughs> very good um, yeah but um, after that bit of dialogue then uh, Shannon and Conway return they're quite flustered um, and don't really want to talk about what happened but they, they did get what they need um, so they're quite happy to move on um, which like this brings us back into the whole of the Mountain King where we get what a line or two maybe from uh, between Shannon and, uh, and Donald and then we flip over to Zandu again and this is what this is what four scene transitions in six minutes maybe <laughs> you know. yeah 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 it's very vast i think there's like 15 scenes in this in this uh act they pack them in this time um, it's wild but uh i think at this point when when you're talking to donald you do have the chance to um the fix for the computer uh the one i always go what go with is that the stranger is set to just clean the mold off of the timing crystal but there are a few other options here um uh, but Xanadu works now, which is nice. Um, so we're back in, and um, we can actually understand the text on the screen. Um, and it's do- yeah, it's doing this like choose your own adventure thing. But like they're they're blurring the levels of reality here in a wonderful kind of way because the um, the dialogue, the kind of like text and the options will jump back up and down between the levels. So like, you know, Junebug will say something to Shannon, and then the next line that reads out is actually from Xanadu printing something to the screen, and then you're. Like, Shannon tells Conway what to type into the computer. So we're getting into a weird kind of tangled hierarchy of, of layers of reality. I pretty much always chose Ezra's uh, prompt because
1: it seemed appropriate to me, given that, like, uh, Colossal Cave Adventure was written for children to play. Uh, it seemed appropriate to just go with the most childlike one. And the ones that he chooses are the ones that are closest to the sorts of things you
0: would do in colossal cave adventure um so yeah i mean he can read the situation better than uh shannon or conway can yeah yeah let the, let the kid play plays video games you know <laughs> he's, he's a great character for that like injecting a little chaos monkey sort of energy into um into the proceedings yeah it's really good um but the, the, um, the procession of, of little scenes here is like, okay, you're at the end of a road, there's a building and so on. Uh, there's a forest around you. You can kind of move east, west, north through the forest. You'll encounter Lula and Joseph, and it becomes apparent that this is happening from Donald's perspective. Uh, that's Xanadu is doing the simulation. Yeah,
1: and specifically this cabin at the end of the road is the start of Colossal Cave Adventure, and it it's a reference to a cabin... That actually existed on uh, the, the grounds, uh, but was removed sometime after the 70s. So, like, according to, like, uh, what the way things were when, um, sorry, when uh, 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 Will Crowther was working on this cave survey, like, that is accurate to this, like, you know, sort of ranger's cabin that was there. Uh, but then, you know, when people sort of went back to it, they're like, oh, but that cabin's not there. But it just turned out it was removed in between. Um, so, yeah, so it's, 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 you know, like, they just they just start with a, a really big, sh- like, showing their hand, like, hey, this is what we're referencing.
0: Yeah, wow, that's super cool. Um, which is not the sort of thing you'd ever realize if you weren't already familiar with um, with the material, but, like... There's so much of that in this game. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's uh... KentuckyRouteZero.txt.jpg. You know, it's like it's there's every fucking scene is packed with stuff that, like, if you if you know what to look for, you're going to be real pleased with what you find. Absolutely. Um, there's a scene then at the edge of a hole, uh, which is clearly the entrance to the caves. This is funny because you can actually fall in and die, and it, it'll just do the "you died" <laughs> thing, like like in fucking Dark Souls, and and print out a score. <laughs> Ezra, uh, yeah. So like, uh, Ezra's answer
1: is what gets you to die. He's just like, "Oh, I'll just go in the hole." And then it's like, "Bad! You didn't use a rope. You're dead." Uh, and the 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 way that Colossal Cave Adventure is written is very reminiscent of sort of like your snarky adversarial GM from the nineteen seventies or nineteen eighties. That kind of Gary Gygax style of GMing. Uh, and and there is a score in that game as well. So the like the the, the the tone in which Xanadu is kind of combative with the players here is reflective of that kind of like <laughs> like I am the game master. Can you overcome my bag of tricks? <laughs> like th- that that kind of uh, attitude that uh, Colossal Cave Adventure has.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's the, 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 the comic book guy uh, from The Simpsons uh, version of, of Dungeons & Dragons fan. Um, Xanadu is also quite competitive with like uh, when it doesn't understand your text prompts. Like when Conway types something in, it's like, oh, enter forest. And it's like, that's not the kind of thing you can enter. <laughs> it's like, okay, walk into a forest. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it like
1: gives you answers that... It gives you answers that like a text parser wouldn't
0: really be able to provide but it's like totally on tone with the kind of game this is it it, but it, it hints at an intelligence in the parser that it could have understood what you said but it decided not to you know it it actually did parse what you meant but it's like yes very obstinate yeah Oh Jesus! Uh, the um the Python interpreter, like the, the programming language, its its interpreter used to do something fucking horrible that just that absolutely ruined me every day when I used worked with it. But like, if you typed quit. It would be like i don't understand quit you should you should quit as a function you should have parentheses at the end it's like you motherfucker you understood what i meant (laughs) like just just quit the damn program (laughs) 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 just do do the damn thing guy (laughs) you know Uh, if, if it knows well enough to correct you it knows well enough to do the right damn thing um but if you do select the rope and you get down there the next title card is for in bed quilt which is quite weird so bed bed quilt is this like seemingly infinite cave sequence that like the hall of the mountain king is inside of seemingly um there's one interesting note here on the soundtrack emily ben and bob are billed as the bed quilt ramblers so that's a really fun detail yeah so that's that's where we get the name from Mm -hmm. that's their band name you know but we get this this feel then of like we're hauling the gear down into the tunnels and this sort of thing um the Lula, Joseph, and Donald hear strange noises, they find a tunnel, they emerge into a crystal room filled with skeletons scraping mold off of crystals. Um, there's there's something kind of cool here that like either way, if you, uh, you can either run or try to talk to them, in which case one of the skeletons has a tape player around its neck and it like tries to use it but the tape fizzles out and they're like, they look at each other and shrug. But either way you can't really get any understanding with these folks. Plus, they're skeletons, so um, the gang flee.
1: Yeah, it, it's it, yeah, it's like they're skeletons. So they don't have any vocal cords. You know, they need a they need a a, a, a prosthesis. They need an, an accessory to
0: vocalize, um, which is super cool. Um, but either way, they're spooked and they flee. Um, they get separated. Like so, they all get kind of separated. Um, when When Joseph ends up back at the cave, um he's he's raving that he's he's discovered the zero, and he's kind of encountered all these strange things down there. Um, yeah, things we've seen on the zero before.
1: Like, oh, there was a cathode ray tube and, you know, horses and blah, blah, blah. Like, all the all stuff you see when you drive through
0: there. Which which leads you to kind of wonder, like, because um, I think like, Joseph describes them as strange images. But, like, when you're driving on the Zero, because, like, we, we get that little scene uh, on the Zero that, like, shows you that it really just does look like a road tunnel. When you drive past the cathode ray, ray tube or the bats or whatever, do you just get a mental image of a cathode ray tube around that location and that's that's what that is. Yeah, who who knows? You get you you get an intrusive thought. You know, that's what those locations correspond to. That seems like what what it could be, right? Oh, uh, totally. Uh, but the gang split up, and this is the same tape that we had in Limits and Demonstrations. It's basically the same story. Um,
1: uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Just j- just to be clear, it's, it's it's Lula is like this project that you're taking us on. Donald is nuts like we're gonna we're gonna get lost down here we can't survive down here like this is yeah the skeletons are down here and you're like well we could just like hide from the skeletons we will be fine blah, blah blah but she's like no screw you you're taking us on this quixotic quest and I'm not gonna have any part of it like I'll send you the tape to operate operate the computer but, like, bye, like this is we get specifically the moment where Lula leaves, um, which is 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 referenced in limits and demonstrations, but we don't get like you know the nitty gritty which we get here,
0: yeah, we get much more of the details here there's There's a really fun like level crossing of realities here, um which starts to hint at what Xanadu is maybe doing that. It's kind of slipstreaming these two realities and these two timelines alongside each other because there's a kind of text there's a prompt at which um Shannon will say to Conway like we have to convince Lula to stay because we need her and then Conway types in what Donald basically says which is we need you to stay because we need you and so there's this mirroring of intentions across the layers which is really compelling and is is woven together very subtly so you might not even realize it's happening until you pay attention to the way the the dialogue bounces up and down between xanadu and the present day but like there's something really weird here in that like there's this kind of there's these overlapping cycles of repetition in like because i mean these are events that actually happened but are also being simulated now and correspond very closely to events in the outside world and like intentions there and so it's it's almost like Conway is sock, puppet, sock puppeting Donald in the past somehow via Xanadu. Yeah, and specifically Xanadu
1: is a project that Donald built after um, after Lula and Joseph left. So it is a it is a project born out of regret in the same way that the colossal cave adventure was. And also the, in the way that, like, you know, everyone in this chapter is dealing
0: with regret. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's just something very compelling about the way that those themes pile up. And in that moment, it kind of aligns intentionality between Donald Conway and the player. Because e- everyone is on the same page that so they need to get Lula to stay. And... There's there's something very spooky about what Xanadu was doing in that moment. Um, it, it, it 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 sort of has a it has a hint of like maybe the whole game does in a certain way because like this this is reminiscent of like um, what happened with the entertainment where, where like the entertainment was formally set in 1973, but the content was immediately prior to this scene. You know, and there's a kind of Nietzschean like perpetual return of the same. In, in a in a sense, across this these timelines, there's like these overlapping circuits that rhyme across time, um, in very strange ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh I mean it's
1: I feel like the magical realism really works here. hmm Because you get you get sucked into the Xanadu um, simulation. It does it doesn't just feel like, ooh, random. It's it's like, oh no, there's like uh the way that, the, as you said, the way that these layers uh, uh, are on top of each other and rhyme with each other and coincide with each other, uh, it does amplify the uh, the thematic impact of the game.
0: It feels almost like, a, I don't know, like a double eclipse or something. It's just like a really uncanny uh, confluence uh, of, of things. Um, but it is super cool. I guess like the, the magical realism in this is always in service of revealing something more real about the situation. It's it's not just kind of yeah, as you said, like lol random kind of stuff, like, oh wow, how quirky to have a giant eagle or to have a um, a computer that simulates across time or whatever. There's there's something deeper and more true about the story and the situation that is revealed through the real the magical elements. Um, that wouldn't wouldn't be sufficient to it, it wouldn't be sufficient without the magical elements to, to really convey the feeling. Yeah, yeah, definitely at this point uh, it drops into a kind of really fun and weird little simulation game sort of aspect of Xanadu. um we get some cool little beep boop beep, beep boop kind of business music you know um to help us along this thing of simulating Donald setting up in the hall to continue his work um the simulation loop is like you can choose research assistants. um you're rated on there's like there's metrics for research assistance uh, realism quotient and like mold accumulation you can either hire assign people to tasks or sleep and you go around the loop a couple of times um, which is i don't know this this is this is fun at this point in the in like i think i warned about this in the first episode but like act three is really fucking long and I would advise most people to not go ahead with this in one sitting, if they were not really up for it. Because this is where it starts to feel like it's dragging a little, and it would actually be better off split split up into two sittings. But the content is really good, it's just, there's a lot of it, and it can be kind of fatiguing, but maybe that's just me. Sure,
1: yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, I think I took a little break uh, when I was... um... When I finished this section specifically, uh, and I, I had I had done this before, so I knew what the the trick was, <laughs> you know, or it's it's essentially you can proceed like within the management sim game ad nauseum, but like. Uh, Shannon is kind of like this. Doesn't seem to be going anywhere because, of course, it's not going anywhere because Xanadu didn't go anywhere. Yeah, commentary on Donald's
0: career, right? You know, <laughs> didn't go anywhere.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, like, you're try you like try to quit or or Oh, oh I guess we should talk about what this what little details are revealed uh, in the game before we get on to what happens. But yeah, overall, like. There's no reason to try to max out your stats in this game because, uh, it doesn't go anywhere. Like, like Shannon says, it's, it's, it's a futile project. Uh, very, yeah, just, uh, it's a dead end.
0: So, but which is, which is adding to the impression that Xanadu truly is a flawless Oracle. Like, and this, this is the point they're building to, right? Um... Because as you go around this loop and you hire some assistants, you get Amy, Roberta, Andrew, mary from the um, Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces shows up here, and then Weaver shows up. She's one of the folks that get hired, gets hired on. Um, when you do the sleep loop, it, it, it's quite nice because it prints out a little um, summary or description of what the researchers got up to today. And there's some absolute belters in this thing um this it'll it'll pick a name of an assistant and then tack on this description thing so it'll go like marianne discards centuries of exhaustive data on the uniformity of cause and effect um (laughs) or that an an assistant fixes some weird math with even weirder math um i don't know this is fantastic i I, i'm having a little quick look at these to see see if there's, there's there's a couple of other absolutely brilliant ones Assistant posits that nature, not reason, is the master of industry. <laughs> Assistant makes a convincing argument for the edibility of stone. Which, this all just stinks of, like, computer literature, people trapped in a cave just going absolutely insane on their own fumes. You know? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Some kind of fumes. Uh, abs- well, it's the mold fumes, you know? The an- on, the an- on the angel's sharer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that might explain quite a bit, actually, you know? <laughs> they're like they're they're just it's whiskey fumes and the the mold that they're that they're that they're smoking you know yeah wow (laughs) oh oh wait no the the absolute standout is assistant makes adjustments to the echolocation algorithm bats now fly normally instead of getting hung up on each other on each other's wings and clustering together like horrible leathery tumbleweeds so (laughs) yeah it's, it's quite good um you then get these alerts for like intruders, oh no, and then the, the mold quotient goes down to zero. Um, and then the, the, the thing goes around indefinitely until you decide to either exit or try to you try to exit, but it says I don't know what the, I don't know what exit is, much like the Python interpreter. Um, but you yes. can try to wait indefinitely at which thing, at which point things pick up.
1: The most important thing here is that uh, in, the, in these, these details, uh, we learn what happened to Weaver basically she went with the out of the strangers she went w- with them uh and uh she doesn't come back
0: so we pretty much know where she ended mm-hmm. up well ended up temporarily before moving on again um but yeah it's it's like oh well, well, who knows Weaver lady has her fingers in a lot of these um these pies right um she might have been Scalified, right? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> Uh-oh. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, interesting. That could have happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Weaver goes off with the uh, with the strangers and never comes back. Um, the mold accumulates and years pass. And then Xanadu says, one night you have visitors, outsiders, different ones. Then later that night, an old friend. And then Lula in the simulation says... You really did go deeper into the caves. And then Xanadu crashes. And Shannon goes, Huh. And then we get Hall of the Mountain King, and we're back out into the real world. And Lula says to Donald, because she's standing there behind you, and she says, You really did go deeper into the caves. And it's like Did did Xanadu meme this into existence? Seemingly. And the thing that the thing that needed to happen was you needed to get the simulation unstuck for reality to proceed. Yes. Yes, it's, this is a dizzying moment. Um, truly bizarre. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, it's one of those dumbstruck moments again, where it's just like incomprehension, like because nobody can formulate, like nobody can even go like, wait, hold on, what the fuck happened? Because they, they just they just take it on faith. Oh yeah, Lula's here. And it's like, uh, what? Um, there's something wonderful about the way this is presented. You know, it's a lot like Borges's map that is the territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. You gotta wonder, right? Like, I mean, this is maybe one of those connective tissue things that is the most vexing to me, because I can't work out why Lula, sh- Lula showed up here right now, other than just Xanadu needed it to happen.
1: Uh, well, okay, like, because, so, you... So in chapter two, you meet with Lula... She says she's going to look into Dogwood Drive. You come back for the permit, and she's not there. Then she shows up in the entertainment. Correct?
0: Well, she, but that's in the past. And that—that's seventy-three in the in the audience. Yeah. Well, I, she, she, she's she's um she's the stage director, I think, for the for the play.
1: Yeah. So yeah, she's she's there. Uh, just talking about the times we see her, and then. I think she shows up here because she was she it's basically what she says is that like, yeah, I could have like gone through all the bureau records, but it's faster to get this computer to just try to just compute the answer for me. Um, so I think it's like she was like, probably she initially went to the stacks to figure things out and then decided to come to the computer here and. Um, and that's 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 kind of what I can construct is like the chain of events that led her here. Uh, of course, you know that could all just be like events guided by the oracle will of Xanadu. But I, you know, that's the kind of like A B C train of actions that that makes sense to me uh, in terms of how she ended
0: up here. Okay, I could believe it. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I guess the the thing that kind of trips me up a tiny bit is that. Um... Like Shannon has the records, and Lula just te- says to her, "Give the records to Donald." And it I, when I was when I was trying to remember my very first playthrough, I could have sworn that like Lula had half of the records, and you had the other half, or something. That there was like there was a reason you all needed to converge on this point. But pl- plus the computer, right? Like Xanadu can c- calculate this stuff faster than the Bureau can. But there's something a little bit unsatisfying about like you you could have just asked Donald to calculate the records anyway like without Lula's input but I don't know it's it's very strange this little bit of connective tissue
1: it is, I think the strangest thing for me is all the tinkering that the protagonists do with. Xanadu prior to Lula showing up. All the fucking around they have to do <laughs> yeah. because it, it, it's very like it's very like like why are they so invested in this? Like other than Donald just like told them go check it out, you know? Like obviously Shannon has some interest in it at a, in a professional level of like being a tinkerer with old electronics, but like the rest of the crew, it's like kind of like
0: eh. So yeah. Is it all propped up on the elbows of that statement that Donald makes? Where he's like, Lula's long gone, but she's still in Xanadu. And that's that's the only lead they have on Lula, is that she's in Xanadu. And that... By playing the Xanadu simulation forward, she also materializes in the real world at that point. Yes, but it's it's kind of tenuous, you know. It's
1: it's there, yeah. It's there, but it's tenuous. I agree.
0: And it, maybe it's maybe it's just tenuous for not being emphasized enough in the text. Like it, it gets it gets one line, and maybe maybe if it was because like when you when you think of like the the very earliest opening scene with Joseph at the at Equus oils, he kind of says multiple times that you got to get on the zero right? And, like, he mentions Weaver he has his name multiple times, and it's kind of repeated. Weaver tells you to go there. Yeah. It doesn't leave you in much doubt, but, like, some of these lines in this act can kind of slip past you in a fucking torrential downpour of dialogue, because there's a lot of dialogue here. It's very easy to miss one line. Um... But yeah, so you hand over the records, Donald will compute them on Xanadu and deliver them to the Bureau in an hour or so. Um, at this point, the, the, like there's a, there's a door that had been sealed off, and it opens, and you can actually leave by the other side of the hall. Uh, you go down a walkway, and then you're... There's a fun inversion where, on this opposite side, the truck is now on the opposite side of the broken bridge, and Johnny is still standing there. And it's, so it's like a mirror image of the scene when you walked in. And so... When you start, the, the, the road is on your left and the void of the broken bridge is on your right. But when you exit here, they've swapped. So the, ro- the road is on your right and the, the truck is pointing forward into the road, not pointing at the broken bridge. Um, pretty odd. And I, I don't know if any of the characters really remark on how that happened. Um, Nothing
1: too much. Johnny kind of mentions, like, you know nothing much of any interest uh how did he teleport to the other side of the fucking bridge you know <laughs> i kind of like my head cannon for this is that lula was using her bureau powers to make this happen to reclaim the space they are kind of in charge yeah they're kind of in charge of like organizing and reclaiming these spaces and doing maintenance and permits and all this stuff so th- th- that was sort of my thought uh on it um but the, 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 we get another musical scene here, right, uh, of the Bed, bed Quilt Ramblers. Uh, They're seeing the song, What Would You Give? Rather a fire from the Savior today Risking
0: your soul
1: song of the region a religious song of the region um this one is it's a song about um essentially like talking about worldly temptations and how when when you're at the pearly gates none of that will be worth it if you've lost your soul because at the, at that moment it's like it's salvation or damnation and if you have your soul, you're getting in. And if you don't have your soul, you're not. So, like, you know, don't be tempted by these things in the world. Uh, stick to the, the righteous path and it'll all be worth it at that moment in front of the pearly gates. Is the, 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 um, It's basically like, uh, hey, you might think, think this stuff is cool and fun but you're going to regret it when it comes to time in the afterlife is the message. So this is rhyming with Conway's regrets in life that like he lost his soul. Right. And what would you give? Like, you know, what, what would like, like, it's not so much like, what would he give in this moment, but more like, man, I really wish things had been different. I really wish I still had my soul so that, you know, my life could, could go some other direction, but I've lost it. It's gone.
0: Yeah, it's quite sad. And like the um, in this particular scene, the the ramblers are actually back close to the entrance. Like they're the other side of the fire, so that like their their shadows are cast up onto the roof, and that's how you see them. And the um, the, the music is quite washed out in the like echoey sort of cave stuff. But it's it's a very evocative thing as you kind of climb down this other side. Um, I guess Junebug's performance was a big musical set piece for this act so this is um this is kind of getting getting the ramblers in here for a little bit but it's um this, this one doesn't bode well for conway it's certainly heralding uh something that's going to happen you know
1: or has happened
0: mm, yeah yeah true it's uh, uh it's just
1: it's, we haven't seen it yet but it has happened
0: it has happened you're quite right yes that's right I, uh yeah in the t- chronology um but uh they're back on the zero now basically so like um donald at one point i think if you mention the zero to him he says oh yeah that thing goes nowhere because uh, from his perspective on on the side you entered from it is a closed loop like it's a dead end basically and so he thinks the whole zero is a dead end but out on this side of the zero you're back into the main uh the main circuit uh, and see so you're um, free to roam for the moment, uh, but your, your instruction is to go to the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces. This, I think, is the last opportunity to explore the Zero. Um, I took the opportunity to sniff around a bit. There's some fun stuff out there. There's a fun little scene. Um, it's labelled as a van, and you get to control Blue sniffing around a camper van that's parked at the side of the um, road in the caves. Um, there isn't really much to interact with, and I don't think there's any dialogue but it's um fun to walk uh i don't know 20 feet in blue's shoes you know yes i remember that from the first playthrough i did it was kind of fun it was good stuff yeah um there's also this like very well hidden location um called the campfire which is pretty strange in that it's it's, it's a, it's a text only uh, little thing um it describes a seemingly eternal campfire that will not extinguish uh with some bones piled up beside it um this is one you can get to if you follow if you've been playing the t v edition you'll notice that um when you boot up the game, it prints on the screen this like curved uh, pathway like uh, it kind of loops back and forth a couple of times. Those are the turns you need to take to get to the campfire um, and there there'll be other repetitions of that spiral pattern um in a couple of places throughout the game um, i I don't know I was expecting something more from because like, if it's if it's like this hidden Easter egg that's like heralded by these uh, spiral patterns that are repeated I'm not totally sure what the campfire is supposed to be about yeah shrug uh, anyway when we get back to the bureau um, Lula tells us that yes they found the address and they also know a corresponding mail stop on the echo River um the night ferry will be along soon uh, at the dock just outside the bureau. And you're free to just wait in the lobby. Um, so when you, you wander back over to the truck, and um, I think it's Junebug who's like, okay, okay, what happened back there? And um, Conway and Shannon are like, what, what do you mean? No, 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 come on, what happened? What happened, in the, what happened where the strangers came from? We get this flashback scene, um, which starts out as the same scene, right? Where the strangers come from, where you come up through the tomb and Shannon and Conway peel off. Uh, but when they go into the church, it's empty and derelict. There's nothing there. As uh, so they sit down on the one remaining bench uh, at the back of the room, um, and Shannon goes over an interesting detail that she didn't really tell us about earlier at the mine. That when she saw Weaver earlier tonight, she saw her on the TV, not in person, and that's how that's how she was told to go to the mine. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is about you know
1: we uh, Shannon kind of coming to terms with the possibility that Weaver is
0: dead. Yeah she's like um, she hadn't been able to say it before or, or something along those lines that like she has trouble saying the word but like she'd always kind of known since she'd gone missing that she was probably dead uh, but now she's a ghost showing up on a TV screen you know rather than rather than showing up in person which makes it a bit more obvious uh, to, to Shannon.
1: Um, I kind of get the sense that like like Weaver was scalified, but because of who she is and like her sort of uncanny powers. Uh her like genius and her strangeness. She was sort of able to like find a loophole in being scalified to become this weird electronic ghost. Hmm. Yeah, sure. that could do it. You know? Well, like like that that's kind of my headcanon that like it's it's like yeah she was incorporated into the machine but she turned out different.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I I still I th- I think that scans. I I haven't been able to come up with any real theory as to what is going on with her. I maybe she's in Xanadu and somehow influencing the real world from there. But uh, I think given that she goes off to to the skeleton people, and that's apparently the last chronological touch point she has with anyone until tonight. Yeah, seems seems reasonable that she's still got some association with us. But during this conversation, we, um, the elevator or the bench turns into an elevator suddenly, uh, and cuts them off when talking with us and we're elevated down into a factory. What, uh, seems to be a factory.
1: I don't, I don't know what this, this is supposed to be a commentary on. Like you sit down in a church pew and then it takes you down into working in this hell distillery. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if this is like a descent into hell you know, after be like you know, after contemplating your fate in a church, or if it's like a commentary on like, you know, the guilt that you experience through Religion is actually like a a gateway to uh you know uh like basically enslavement to capital. Um, it, it, there's a bunch of sort of suggestive uh, thematic
0: overlaps there but mostly it's just weird it's just it's just very strange um how, how does Dante's Inferno start does he does he go on an elevator down to Hell Distillery you know from a church <laughs> <Does> he, <laughs> uh
1: I believe it is uh Virgil that comes to to see him right
0: yeah I mean I, it's been a while <laughs> um but there's, there's an interesting mirror here where um, the missing pews from the church are actually down here, um, and in the position where you would see an altar, there's a uh, plinth with a um, what well, seems like an adding machine there, and there's a, there's a skeleton boy standing there. Now you're in control of the skeleton, um, and you can walk up to the, uh, the newcomers. Um, mm-hmm. This skeleton is Lem Doolittle, um, and he's speaking to them through a tape recorder, uh, so Lem Doolittle, being the author of the Entertainment, or, or the author of A Reckoning and A Barfly, uh, the enigmatic wino that disappeared decades ago, and here he is in a in glorious uh, skeleton form. Um, yeah, what a surprise! Like, I wonder
1: if the skeleton at the end of the Entertainment is actually
0: Lem. That could be, that could very well be the case. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense.
1: It would make a lot of sense, right? Yeah. I mean, this whole thing about the degausser here is really interesting. Uh, obviously, all the skeletons are rendered the same way as Conway's leg. Um, but uh, if you use the degausser, it has the same button as it had during Xanadu. Um, they will go from being invisible to visible, but they will also kind of like get scrambled. Like when you do use a degausser on a CRT. Um, So it kind of suggests that their existence, it's not simply that they work for this distillery slash electrical company. Their existence is electromagnetic on some level.
0: Yeah, they're just turning into energy fields. I mean, it's it's perhaps reminiscent of, like, the parts of Capital where Marx is on about, like, the human being kind of disappearing into the machinery and becoming a kind of invisible component of the machine system. Now, these these people are literally just melting away into the the infrastructure of the factory, um, such that you you have to flay them into visibility with a degasser.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think they're. Uh, I think that it's 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 talking about capital as this kind of like monstrous abstraction, right? And how people become avatars of capital rather than human beings
0: um, absolutely um, Lem mistakes uh, Conway for a new hire um, he's like oh you're here about the job cool let me give you a tour of the factory um, and so you're kind of dragged along on this tour that Lem kind of insists on on giving you
1: well it's not a mistake it's like it's, it's not a
0: mistake it's like
1: it's a snare and it's like like he says something about like you'll fit in here like he knows that 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 Conway is a mark.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it because he sees Conway's leg and he's like, "Oh, this guy's already on the program." I think that's quite likely, but he might also just sense the fact that Conway is an alcoholic. You just smell it on him? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is very much you know the devil. This Doolittle is is a devil here that is is like entrapping conway into a um a dark deal
0: Mm -hmm. he's mephistopheles yeah absolutely um giving him the the tour of hell um yeah this 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 is a very big sequence and it's a very big environment it's fucking huge um we we get taken through all these kind of levels here and um yeah there's this this kind of recurring thing of like um if you trigger the Degosser near the vague hints of, of skeleton people sitting around um they'll become visible and then you can interact with them as and it's, it's always a uh, do little telling you about their misfortune it's like oh yeah annie here yeah she was she was flying high and mighty as a as a pottery salesperson or whatever until uh you know such and such scenario snagged her in debt to the power company and now she works here or whatever um we also have our new arrivals. They're on the, the mezzanine level, uh, getting their induction. Rosa, Lawrence, and Evelyn are here. They're not skeletons yet, but um, we know what's going to happen. Um, Shannon tries to insist. I was like, hey, we're just here to talk about the computer. Uh, Xanadu, can you help us out here? And um, even
1: even Conway can be kind of, you know, he can protest uh, like, like, look, like, I'm not here for that. Like, I
0: yeah, we're here for the computer thing, but Doolittle just like, ignores that shit, um, and insists on inducting him.
1: Yeah, he's got this kind of like jolly, friendly, sinister kind of uh, uh, aspect to him, and he has this thing of like talking past the characters, like when they voice an objection or something he's just like oh no, no on with the tour like you know it's 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 very much one of those things where like um you're in a conversation where you are being silenced um and you know like your voice has no weight um uh it's 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 one of those kind of it, like he really conveys that sense of being in a bureaucracy where your concerns and agenda and agency are mostly irrelevant. And it's just like, like, you know, you could try to adjust these things, but it will be like pushing on a wet noodle. You know, it's just the, the bureaucracy is just so solid and infinite that, you, your your voice just doesn't mean a thing.
0: It's very like um, Kafka's Castle and so on. You know, like the the, the you... oh
1: yeah. It's not as absurd as that, but it is very similar as like the trial or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, part of the tour is like you get this um little golf cart sort of thing, and this thing controls like an absolute motherfucker. <laughs> it's just. The most vexing thing to drive around on a, on a console, at least. Um,
1: oh, on a PC, you don't even drive it. You just get in and click on the destination, and it it, it just drives you there. Oh, that's actually quite a bit better. Because
0: <laughs> uh, trying to pilot this thing is fucking terrible. Because yeah. <laughs> um, it does the thing where, like, if you, if you hold um, a directional arrow, it's like setting a gravitational point that the cart then tries to pull itself towards rather than moving it directly. Oh, it's it's a nightmare, but there are a bunch of places you can go down here. Um, the one you kind of need to visit is shipping, uh, the shipping department, um, where there's a truck there, and uh, Doolittle is trying to get um, Conway to do the induction here. He's like, oh, this is the truck you'll be driving. You know, uh, really glad you showed up here because um, you know that that Miguel guy really fucking totaled one of our trucks uh, just just tonight. You know, we really need a replacement driver, alluding to the um, the crash earlier. Um, Conway is kind of bullied into, like, kicking the tires and inspecting the truck and playing along with it. But each, each time you interact with it, um, you get this, like, space-out kind of sequence, um, which goes over a lot of, um, Conway's regrets, right? Like, the, um, the incident of being too drunk to go to work, so Charlie had to do the job. And that uh, kind of tragically, like, Conway didn't find out about the death until months later because he'd kind of drifted out of town, um, later in the afternoon before, before hearing the news. Um, we get some stuff about, like, a- a- AA meetings, skipping class with Lisette, and, uh, general drifting, um, but it's, it's this catalogue of regrets, um, as he's, like, yeah, being bullied into, t- into taking this job.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a real bad
0: feeling. Like, this is, this is rough. Uh, <laughs> there's other, <laughs> there's other rough things. Um, if you go down to the housing and, like, mess hall sort of area, there's, it's swarming with fucking... Invisible skeletons that, like, if you interact with them, you get their tragic backstories. There's, it's just bunks, you know, barracks, basically. Like they have just, um, it's like a fucking, it's, it's a slave labor camp, you know, like is what, what it's really getting at. It's, it's Foxconn, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, right. Um, and like Doolittle is like, oh yeah, I mean, like, so like Conway is like, you live down here, right? She's like, yeah, sure, I mean, like. You don't want to commute eating into your time that you can use to repay your debt, do you? Um, and it's like, yeah, so they basically live underground permanently to add to the nightmarish um, vibes here. Um, up in the computing department, we get an interesting bit of Weaver backstory that, like, um, the the skeleton boys used to have a really hard time calculating all the interest and stuff, but um, ever since this math genius gave us the formula, we've had a real easy time. We just plug that shit into the formula, and it, it goes like a beast, and it calculates all of our... Um, all of our interest, all the leverage, all the good shit, you know? Um, so, is, is... Weaver giving these guys this formula, was that an act of supreme evil? You know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It's like <laughs> making friends more effective is not a good thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's like you're... Um, I mean, it's... It's 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 very much like science not for the people. Uh, like, like, she... You get the sense that Weaver is one of those kind of like amoral mathematicians. Like, you know, it's kind of like a like a a, like a John Carmack sort of situation where it's like, you know, like, oh, well, like I can find justifications for what I'm doing. But mostly I'm just doing this because it intrigues me intellectually. Um, Yeah. uh, So it's kind of like one of the evil endings in Eliza. Right. Like, where if you just like, if you if you stick with the boss, and you're like, oh, but Eliza's going to be this incredible thing, um, uh, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep working on it. I feel like that's
0: the kind of person that Weaver was. Uh, yeah, like I kind of, not, I'm not totally sure how I feel about this because, like, I, 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 had hoped Weaver would be a better person. Like, it's it, it this um this moment here solidifies uh, this like uh quite sinister cast to to weaver that i was like i i don't think i was expecting and i was maybe hoping for something something different but uh yeah it's it's really fucking sinister uh what's what's going on here
1: yeah so the i believe also like the formula quote-unquote is probably also related to the way that they they put debt into the whiskey um like you know the the way that that they, they've got their special brewing formula, too. They've got a molecular encoding of that. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, it's just, you know, I feel like she's not necessarily, like, a vicious person, but is also a person who, like, you know, similar to, like, when she gave Shannon the ADHD meds, it's like she just kind of does things without too much concern to the human element. Uh, just kind of operating on a different plane of existence from everyone else. Um, And, you know, that probably also applies to, like, just her instructions uh, to Conway and Shannon to get down, to get on this journey, right? It's like, she's basically the one that, you know, sets Conway down this road to oblivion um but i don't think it was done maliciously it's just kind of like well this is just the way things go so yeah you know she's a she's a very strange figure and uh yeah like you know at the end there he says it was devastating to see our revered mathematician go but she was needed elsewhere her legacy abides so it's like you know, in what sense did she, in what sense did she go? Where yeah, like, she did gone? she like transcend into the ghost realm? Like, it's just
0: very, very weird. It seems to be left wide open, right? Because like, I don't think there's much text as to like where Weaver is right now. Like, where is she broadcasting from? Is, she's she's almost certainly dead anyway, right? But um, there's very little to wrap up that mystery.
1: Well, and it's also very interesting because, like, she's the person who came down and worked here and escaped. Like, she transcended capital in some way. Very strange.
0: Very weird. Is she Nick Land, you know, or some sort of Landian fantasy of, like, transcending capital through acceleration through the capital nexus or something? I guess. I mean, she doesn't
1: seem to have that amount of libidinal investment in the process that Land has. But, like, it's very much like, oh, like, I was such a financial whiz that I just kind of, like... Like the, the 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 circuits that entrap
0: other people were just kind of like toys to me. Yeah, she achieves escape velocity out the other side somehow. I I didn't. I, I'm. Uh, I, I, it's not as satisfying. And uh, I mean, this isn't really an end to her story. I mean, like there's there's no real end to. There's no textual end to it. I was I was kind of hoping for something. I don't know, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what I was hoping for, really. Going, going into Act 1, where you're like, oh, who's this weaver chick, you know? What's what's her deal going to be? Yeah, 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 You know, yeah, she, yeah. clearly she's going to be a very important character. And then if it turns out she was, um, uh, you know, like a City of London finance asshole, you know? It's like, ah, okay. That's not so good.
1: The uh, she
0: Yeah, she was basically
1: like a quant... Quant exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm after. Yeah. For for City of London or Wall Street or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Oh uh, that's that's what that's what's that's what's unsatisfying about it is that she was a quant. She was in she was in FinTech, you know. One of these scumbags that puts together Python programs for banks, you know.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Um there's a couple of other really fun little things that you can do. One of the that's really affecting is like if you go down to one of the corners here, there's like a kind of field of burning coffins, where like the, the 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 interior of the coffins are on fire, and it's just smoke and shit. And it's like, wow, this is really cool looking. This is how they smoke the barrels, basically. That they 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 store the whiskey in coffins, um, to age it. But like just the <laughs> the image of this like a flat plane of just smouldering coffins. I don't know. There's something real good about it. Um, I really I really want to get like um. I don't know, like, get the client to blow up the resolution on that scene so I can take, like, a high-res screenshot of it and and crop it, you know, to make it look cool. But hey yeah you could definitely do that um that'd be nice that would make a good uh header head banner for for twitter uh, <laughs> this vista of fucking flaming coffins oh christ oh yeah
1: um yeah that's that's uh that's that's the landian future as uh, uh, you know, everyone's flaming coffins
0: because there, there is a thing here of like um the the distillery exhuming coffins basically to um to to serve as uh as these casks for, for for aging, but then they had they had to start buying new ones because they ran out of them. And it's like, did they hollow out the graveyard from below? You know, I think so. It seems so. we're getting at. Um, just like, I guess, like in Minecraft, if you if you dig upwards, you'll just like puncture the surface, and he's like, oh shit, there's a coffin up here. <laughs> it just falls. <laughs> Yikes. Um, uh, anyway, on the way out, um, you can finally get uh, Lem to open up about what to do about the computer, and he's like. Um, well, he'll tell you what option you picked earlier. So if you if you said uh, clean the shit off the timing crystals, he'll be like, yeah, do that, um, which is a nice and, uh, temporal inversion, I guess. Um, he also kind of uh, elaborates on this being that like the reason that mold was accumulating on Xanadu was because of the evaporation from the uh, ethanol fumes from the whiskey that it would it would uh, accumulate in the caves, and they would try to scrape it back. Um, and they would, just, they would break into the fucking computer and scrape all the stuff off. Because, you know, I can't let any of that go to waste. But now that we have the formula, we don't need to do that. So, um, whatever. That's why they stopped doing it. And that's why the Xanadu project failed. Is because they stopped doing that and the computer crumbled under the weight of the mold. On the timing crystal. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's something in there about, like, you know, financing for a research project. <laughs>
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, right.
1: Uh, and and I like that, you know, like yeah, that scraping off the crystals things very much reminds me of uh, capitalist recycling, right? Like, oh, we're just we're just trying to like minimize our costs. Like, it doesn't actually, like the the environmental effects are totally irrelevant to us. It's just about how much profit we can make.
0: Yeah, how much can we scrape back? How much we can reduce our overhead? Ah, uh, grim. Uh, but when we get back up to the adding machine, um, Lem basically, kind of, yeah, he, he's completing the deal here and kind of, um, he's like, oh yeah, you're hired. And then Shannon's like, no, no fucking way. We we got to get out of here. And he's like, well, you know, and it's it's traditional to start a start, you know, celebrate with a, a shift drink. So here's here's a little little snifter. Um, and Conway can't stop from like you can't not drink this. Um, yeah, if you
1: move the cursor away from the center of the screen it will
0: move of its own accord towards the center and click for you yeah which is super cool but like on the tv edition i it doesn't do that i think it just it just like takes away the option after a moment or two
1: yeah it definitely misses something on the tv there because that's that's horrific because like first of all the like the the clicky hand icon uh for the cursor cursor is a hand and it kind of looks like a skeleton hand Uh, uh, and and, and yeah it just moves inexorably towards the center and like it's just like it pauses a second over the button and then clicks and as it gets closer there's this terrible golden glow which is uh, like the color of whiskey Um, and uh, yep Yep, just his his the weight of his regrets, and the
0: way that that informs his alcoholism did a man. Yeah, uh, and I kind of I kind of love the golden glow and like the the kind of throbbing warm ambient music. You know, it's like because it's um for Conway this is coming home, right? This is he he belongs here, right? Basically, like as an alcoholic, this is the yeah. This hole was made for him. Yeah, this is um. It's it's so grim for that, right? That it's like um it's 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 a horrifying thing, but it's clearly the most sensible thing that could ever happen to Conway. Like, and he's he just he can't resist it, and it's doing this thing feels like coming home. Uh even though he's completely fucked now. It is. (laughs) This 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 fucking scene, oh my god, this whole this whole act is insane. Truly horrific. It is miserable. Truly horrific. Um and then, like, Shannon's then like, well, hey, we got to get fucking going. Is, and um, Doolittle's like, oh, well, that's tricky because that was really expensive whiskey. <laughs> um, and can't really turn down the job now and stuff. And they kind of, like, bargain them down to, like, well, hey, look, you can start in the morning. Um, and that's, that's it. So basically the thing here is that your,
1: the interest rate on your debt is so high that it's impossible to work it off. Um, at, at this company uh, and so it's like if you have any amount of debt to the company you're enslaved for the rest of your life
0: which Conway already was already right with with his mechanical leg but then this, this fucking thing put him way over the edge um, yikes um, he's never going to work this off um, but come back in the morning we'll start your shift um, and we switch back to the dock and he's just like well guess I start in the morning but they do have a few hours to roam uh, which is Junebug
1: yeah, Junebug is June Buck is surprisingly chipper about yeah. this whole thing. It's like, well, we still got a few hours, you know, like might as well make make the sunrise up, right?
0: That's definitely that's that's so in character for these like musician drifters who are just like you know, it's like it, it's it's four AM uh in some some uh, fucking run downtown and they're just like yeah wow we we got we got looking at my watch got six hours until we need to be at the train station wow jesus what can we do we gotta we gotta go get breakfast we gotta do you know and just like this that's 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 people in their early 20s energy you know i, I <laughs> oh yeah big time big time <laughs> it's fantastic um
1: oh you're you're facing down a life of, or an infinite life of 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 damnation well you
0: still got 3 hours you know yeah yeah imagine we could go to a club because we could, we could do anything you know <laughs> but um and then it finishes off on this really ridiculous sight gag where uh, we we can hear the boat pulling up we can hear the foghorn um and as the boat uh, slides across our view um right at the back of the boat there's a giant woolly mammoth sitting there and it's it's lifting its trunk up and it's it's the foghorn you know just mmm it's so dumb i fucking love it and then it, it cuts to black yeah it's so it's such a thing to like finish this like really dour uh, episode of this game on like a bugs bunny sight gag you know it's just very <laughs> yes. funny yes <laughs> yes
1: yeah so i think overall for this chapter i mean it's all about that that sense of regret right um and i think what it always reminds me of is like um there's a Deleuze and Guattari um, essay. I think it might be What is Philosophy? Um, where they talk about how like our servitude to capitalism is driven by the sad passions and how capitalism how like agents of capital seek to aggravate those passions, enhance them so that we never have that sort of effective escape velocity to get out of capitalism. And I feel like the focus on regret in this episode is really zooming in on that idea. That, like, there's no, there's no uh, physical coercive force that, that forces Conway to take that drink. It's simply his sad passions that draw him inexorably towards taking it and damning himself.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely, right. And the um, the sort of manifestation of the death drive in the um, in the in the, the the whiskey factory skeleton horror show. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, so it's it's it's
1: it's it's Landian in a sense, but it doesn't have that kind of um It's
0: Pre-Landian. <laughs> still. <is in. laughs>
1: yeah, it's 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 exactly it is Pre-Landian, that's right. Because it, 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 it doesn't have that kind of uh feverish libidinal obsession with the speed of capital. It's still at that remove where it's like No, this is actually horrifying. Um and and I can't I can't get it up over over how horrifying it is you know the Terminator is it is it
0: my waifu? Um. <laughs> no, absolutely. not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ugh, bad shit. Uh, yeah, but it it definitely has that um that kind of del- yeah kind of angle I guess of like um the this capital thing being a kind of machine vortex that like pulls you in on these like sad passions and. Acts as this like structuring agent that is totally indifferent to like life actually flourishing, uh, but is quite happy to capitalize on your life. You know your your way of living as as it as its like entry ramp into the vortex, and then once you're in there, is quite happy to snare you in this like cybernetic loop. Because I mean, we, we remarked on it way back in episode one, but like there's this kind of like Oedipus Rex kind of problem here of like the participating in your own fate, right? Like the kind of cybernetic. Um, Feedback noose that like tightens on Conway definitely has shades of that kind of like stuff, right? And, um, yeah, Ooh, <laughs> so fucking grim.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is all, um, reminiscent of, uh, the death of the hired man and the Iceman Cometh, right? The, uh, the, the, the other big references for this game, uh, that we saw in, uh, Act One and then in the entertainment. Um, this idea of illusions that trap you but also sustain you, um, uh, it's uh, it's pretty rough, uh, stuff. And I just, I just came away from this chapter of just this like really heavy sense of like, just the weight of it all.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's that fucking like underground bunker full of slave skeletons that really sets it for you. You know. Um, and just they're all sitting around, just fucking blank. Um, and again, like, yeah, that, that thing, they don't have vocal cords anymore. And Doolittle is the only one you see with a tape recorder. So, is Doolittle the only one who can speak to each other, seemingly, you know? Or can they telepathically talk to each other? But these these sad little fucks, like, sitting around, like, at the mess hall. And I was like, God damn, this is so depressing to just walk around here. And, like, and if you interact with anyone, Doolittle's De- 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 like, yeah, we fucking snared that one too, you know? Yeah, I think it's kind of a
1: thing where it's like if you maybe they can talk to each other because there is the dispatch, right, that, that talks to, to the car. Um, and then the, um, if you have the prosthesis, if, if you have some kind of electronic, you know, digital to analog converter, you, you can speak to living people, but otherwise, no. No, it's 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 rough. This is really rough. And then the next chapter is even rougher. The next chapter is the absolute rock bottom of anything you could ever feel in a video game.
0: Uh-huh. Ooh, yikes. <laughs> what a ride. What a fucking ride. So, <laughs> yeah, it does
1: get better at the end, but goddamn... Uh this next one is just crushing. Uh, so
0: you know, strap yourselves in. Um uh, and I mean, it's it's all doubly fucking crushing for just how undeserved any of this shit is. Like, there's there's Conway hasn't done anything fucking wrong. Like, it and it, it this is it, that, that that thing of like yeah, capitalism preying on the sad passions and stuff. And a lot of it's just like. It'll it'll get moralized. Like people will moralize this kind of shit, shit of like, oh well, you know, you shouldn't be a down and out, or you shouldn't be a drifter, or whatever. You shouldn't be a drunk. And it's like, eh, I mean, maybe in some moral framework, but also like, how how did how did anyone deserve to be this badly mistreated and to be ingested by the capital machine just for enjoying a drink or two? Like I like this. Is, these are such small things, like the the sad passions are so fucking small and like inconsequential, and like is his apparent sins are so fucking tiny that to be devoured by a slave labor camp underground just it's, it's fucking nightmarish, you know. But it's it's precisely that way that that life that drags him here. That's the kind of Oedipus Rex thing. It's like the 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 trajectory of his life ends here, and and for what? Like there's there's nothing. I don't know. Like how how would how would Doolittle possibly justify any of this shit?
1: Yeah, it's just a matter of course. And I mean, it is it is exactly the terror that comes with debt, right? I mean, it's it's the sense of being like losing your autonomy, just becoming heteronomous, and and uh, and becoming an appendage to a machine. Um, that is so terrifying about debt
0: yeah Um, and like for rose and lawrence as well like i mean we just saw them and what like they were late on their bar tab like who gives a shit like this is this is not a fucking proportional the kind of like the 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 hammer of debt on that or whatever and ultimately like they were just ordinary fucking people they're just the normal fucking proles you know um there's nothing about this there's nothing about this debt shit that's in any way virtuous um and it's, it's exaggerated for effect, obviously, but it's it's indexing something extremely real. This is... People don't literally get dragged into hell slave camps underground. But metaphorically, they kind of do, basically. Well, unless, unless unless you go work at Amazon, you know? Yeah, right. Like, it's not that far off from the fucking distillery, right? Amazon, I mean, please. this
1: this is basically... <laughs> yeah, this is basically an Amazon processing center... Uh, or a Foxconn factory, or whatever. This is this is very much what contemporary capitalism looks like.
0: Yeah, which is again that thing of like the, the magic realism is in service of more accurately portraying the reality. And, and for like a lot of the people that are, you
1: know, you get their tales of woe in the factory. It's often like they try to do something positive and self-motivated in their life but it failed because of environmental circumstances and then they just got into this crushing loop of depression and
0: debt that destroyed them yeah that's um there's a couple of sad ones as well where like um oh this this guy larry or whatever is like oh his his parents owned a logging company or something but then one of the logs broke free and drifted down the river and crashed into the, the church or something and then well we snared them for that and larry's here now you know, this kind of shit. Um, who boy. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's a lot like, it's a lot like Weaver, right? With her family being in debt and then that just leading to a downward trajectory in her life, which she just managed to, you know, I mean, I guess the thing is if, if Doolittle is Mephistopheles, then you know, Weaver is Faustus, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. She's she's the one that can master
0: this and get out the other side. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good pull. Fucking hell, there's a lot going on here. Um, I don't know. Did we miss anything? I think we I think we got it all. But uh, there's a lot of stuff here. A lot of optional dialogue. A lot of um. A lot of cool, really fucking good scenes in this one. Um. I don't know, I, I, I can't quite get over some of the pacing stuff, but like I think, I, I could definitely imagine being the creators of this and just thinking, we can't cut anymore, like this just has to be a long act, like there's so much fucking stuff, we can't cut anything from it.
1: Yeah yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's paced, it's paced in a way more similar to other video games uh,
0: whereas you know, the previous ones much more had that pacing of a play um I guess, I mean, I, I struggle to imagine what you would do otherwise. Like, I mean, would you split this one up into, like, would you make it a seven act series? Like, no. Like, uh. I
1: think they were really wedded to the idea of a five act structure. They really wanted to hit
0: that, you know, classical narrative structure.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't think it suffers very much for it, I guess, except for that thing that happens, which happened to me that was like, if you start to get tired around the Xanadu scenes, pushing through is a mistake because you'll end up not really appreciating the content but it's very hard to tell when it's going to end um
1: yeah uh yeah the next one's also a long one so uh yeah and then the the final one is is very very short so we're you know we're gonna we're we're getting there we're getting
0: there we're getting there we're 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 past the halfway mark this is the tentpole of um of the action certainly um and yeah wow i i love this fucking thing um i really want one of those xanadu screens now the fucking yeah the little uh uh, crt the fucking oscilloscope yes i want one of those to just fuck around with
1: you can still get them they're they they are expensive though because modern oscilloscopes have moved to a digital model Um, Uh, they don't have a crt in them they, they, they still do the same thing, but it's output on an LCD instead of on a, um, on a, a CRT. Uh, but you can still get them, um, and uh, yeah, they're pretty cool. I mean, I think one thing that I come away from in this game on my second playthrough is a much greater appreciation of the craft and the way that the art is put together here. Um, it's it really stands out to me a lot more the second time I'm playing it through
0: it's it's stunning really you know um and like even even the, the 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 stuff you managed to pull in about, about um colossal cave adventure and like the they've kind of obvious in retrospect perhaps fact that um some of the terminals here are, are modeled after Vt100 and stuff and like yeah like th- these these folks must have a deep familiarity with these this old hardware and there's such a loving. Uh, homage being paid to this stuff, um, it starts to become more clear how you would spend two or three years b- developing each act. Because um, this is very clearly a lot of work. A lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, um,
1: I remember... Uh, like I, on, on Watch Out for Fireballs, I think Gary Butterfield was talking about like how sometimes you go into these art projects and you do these extravagant things that um, just take up so much time. And then at the end, you're like, that wasn't worth it at all. I could have just, <laughs> you know, synthesized it in like 10 minutes. Uh, but I really don't get that sense with Kentucky Road Zero. I'm sure a lot of stuff got thrown out. I'm sure there's tons of reworking. But um, yeah, the, the, the polish really comes through in the game
0: it does it is it is really spectacular to um to immerse yourself in um yeah cool i don't know anything else um or is that it for act three no, i think that's it yeah i think so good stuff um yeah thanks listeners it's been wonderful um we'll be back next time with uh, act four uh, where we'll be finding out what this mammoth thing on the back of the boat is all about um we will also have a very brief chat about, um, here and there along the echo, the, the interlude between them. There just isn't that much to, it, th- that interlude is mostly a, a side gag basically. And there isn't that much to discuss about it, but it, it's more of a, it's more of an auditory kinesthetic experience rather than something you can comment on extensively. So we'll just roll that in with act four, um, at the very beginning. Um, I kind of, I kind of still, I love that little telephone bit that they do, but, um, it's uh yeah, I don't know, that that's a weird little little interlude. Um in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at giunitpod. uh we're on Facebook, we're on all that other stuff, generalintellectunit.net. You can go to patreon.com slash general intellect unit and give us a couple of bucks a month to get on the community discord and support the show, which um yeah, makes 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 things a bit easier, keeps us away from the dead skeletons. Um <laughs> Yes. Hopefully, Hopefully hopefully they won't come knocking anytime soon. Um, uh, And you can also go to emancipation.network and check out our sister shows, uh, Mortal Science, Jumpsuit Utopia, Swampside Chats, and From Alpha to Omega. They are all fantastic. Um, Fantastic shows and fantastic people. Um yeah specifically i'd like to shout out
1: uh the uh swamp site slash alpha to omega co- collaboration that has been going on on the fundamental prim- principles of communist production uh which i think all of our listeners who have been interested in our socialist planning episodes will find uh, of of interest
0: mm-hmm. i've um i've just i've started reading the first couple of chapters of that book and it's it's fucking stellar um very glad tom stumbled across that you know just from out of fucking nowhere yeah totally like an, an uh recently translated text from the 30s that was just lost in the dutch language um but it's so resonant with a lot of the stuff we've been talking about on the show and like very weirdly resonant with the like um Beerean cooperative planning sort of stuff as well and um, cybernetic stuff uh, so i'm really looking forward to seeing where they get with that uh that reading group Indeed. Uh, cool. Yeah, we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.